0: gotta question the voices of resin and i hear
1: oh plastics plastics is an spe sponsored podcast hello. hey girl hey oh, hello how's it going Good, probably better than you. It is absolutely going better than me because I am finishing up my COVID quarantine. <laughs> so I am free to leave the house tomorrow, but we are still not allowed to have a nanny in the house to wrangle my children. So it is um, just pure chaos here. I would love to see the Lindsay
0: Nebel, My Three Sons COVID edition TV show uh, that comes.
1: It's, it's really just a lot of screaming, jumping off stuff, saying, no, don't do that, saying, hey, Where'd your pants go? You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) So like a normal day at the office. A normal day, just like like nobody (laughs) leaves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, I am um, Mercedes Landazery. I am um, Director of uh, Technology Innovation at uh, Peacock Colors and Vortex Liquid Color.
1: And I am Lindsay Neville. I am an upstream hardware quote engineer for Cytiva, and I am on the executive board as the Vice President of Membership engagement.
0: I know, me too. I'm on, I'm on SPE boards as well. Totally. <laughs> For sure. I am. I am. Um, and with our powers combined, we are plastic. Plastics. The voices of resin.
1: And so today we have a guest, which is also a blast from the past. Um, it's not throwback Thursday, but you know what? Close enough. Um, so today we brought on one of my college buddies and actually, Dave, I think you might be the first college buddy. I've. Nope. Oh,
0: wait. Yes, I was going to say it, but you didn't go to college with that guy that uh, in Erie that we had talked to at the golf no, outing.
1: No, Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I did, but he was a year younger. But you were a first classmate of mine that we're bringing on. So uh, this is finally Dr. Dave White. He is the founder and CEO of Extra Farm. And as we're recording... The one kid that can get through. <laughs> hey, Henry, where's your dad? He's supposed to be watching you. <laughs> hey,
0: Henry, say hi to uh, to to all of our podcast our six thousand uh, downloaders.
1: Well, this is Henry. <laughs> okay, I literally told your dad to watch watch you starting at seven. So
0: so for everybody who's listening and kit I don't know if we want to edit this part out but uh, Lindsay's son Henry is here
1: <laughs> you want to show them your bad jammies okay
0: beautiful beautiful <laughs> okay spooky getting in the holiday spirit <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay well okay that sounds funny. <laughs> <laughs> and that is just a snippet of how my course has gone.
0: So do you want to, Lindsay, do you want to start? Uh, so maybe yes. they want to cut that part um, out.
1: Yeah. So, so today we actually have an old classmate of mine. Um, and he is the first classmate of mine. We've, we've interviewed some Penn State alum, but this is the first guy that I actually um, graduated with. And we have, Finally, Dr. Dave White. Uh, he is the founder and founder and CEO of Extra Farm. And um, his doctorate was not a four-year thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, Dave, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, do a little little introduction there.
2: Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, so yeah, um, my name is David White and I uh, Went to uh, undergrad with Lindsay at Penn State for Classics Engineering. Then moved on to UMass Lowell for my master's and finished up my doctorate after a a long duration. And uh, finally got that mm, a couple years ago. And uh, I left to go into industry for about five years and then started my own company here back in 2017.
1: Uh, Cool. And so you are actually... You're you're a lot of first today, Dave, because I think you are the first uh, extrusion, right? I don't think we've had any other extrusion of any sorts, officially. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know you you're carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders right now. So um, I, I mean, honestly, if you're not counting master
0: batchers, <laughs> we, I mean, like we work in extrusion too,
1: right? But we're talking. Like, well, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. I guess yeah but why don't you give us kind of like the rundown of like what, what extra farm does? Like, why is it different? Is, you know, not just injection molding, isn't injection molding the only molding?
2: (laughs) Sure. Uh, so the area I work in is in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, extrusion has been a player for many years now in the extrusion industry. It really came around for, uh, Hot melt extrusion is what the pharmaceutical industry has coined the term, but it's really just traditional plastics extrusions, except if we're putting a drug into it. So they started that with a, like solubility enhancement. So a lot of the drugs are very crystalline in nature and therefore not bioavailable. So you'd have to eat quite a bit of this in order to get the therapeutic effect. They still get all the uh, the bad side effects from it. Um, so as a way to combat that, they make solid amorphous dispersions by mixing it with usually a cellulose-based um, amorphous polymer, and that makes it a lot more bioavailable, so you don't have to take as much. Uh, so that's really where it started, and I do some of that work as well for solubility enhancement. Um, it's all all that works traditionally done on a twin screw extruder, um, but then also getting into like drug eluting implants. Uh, it's like Nexplanon for the birth control implant goes in the back of the arm. Um, products like that, but for other indications as well, I will work on. Um, but it's everything from you know, initial formulation development the whole way through you know, the steps of uh, milling down polymer into a powder blending that with the drug and other excipients putting that through a twin screw for the mixing and pelletizing that and then uh, taking that product and putting it through a single screw extruder or an injection molding machine depending on what the product is going to be um, to make the final the final shape product oh, but,
1: uh, as long
2: as it's that's the, the- at some point what's that?
1: What's that? It's as long as it's injection molded at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um so you actually started off at another company um doing something similar. Why why did you just go out on your own? That those feel like a lot of steps to me. To be like, yeah, I can do this on my own. <laughs> so yeah, you were you were at Foster or uh at
0: Foster, is that right?
2: Correct. Foster Delivery Science. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. So you were there for, for about five years and then you said, OK, I'm ready.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a need in the industry. Um, a lot of the pharmaceutical products and projects out there, they don't really have a lot of like plastics engineers on these types of products. However, mm-hmm. they're using plastics, extrusion in injection molding equipment. Um, so that's where I really saw the opportunity and decided to uh, start my own company focusing on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so what? Um, so at, at Foster, and I'm not sure, you know, if you're if you're allowed to say, but at Foster, you know, e- among your your colleagues that you were working with on a day to day, were there other um, plastics engineers there, or were you kind of the loner?
2: Uh, I was the only one for plastics engineering. Well, the only one that was actually on the technical side of things. There was some from the sales and other business end of things, but from the technical side, uh, I was the only one at, at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Same, with, same with the customers as well. Uh, they didn't really have a plastics background. They were more pharmaceutical scientists that were working in extrusion. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. <laughs> So, so you, well, I, I guess maybe maybe tell us like how, how why you started Extrufarm. Like was it was it you saw the opportunity there that there was such a need for the 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 level of expertise that a plastics engineer would have to 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 really uh, pioneer and, uh, innovation in the market. Or did you just want to buy a ton of equipment and like just keep buying equipment? That's kind of what I've been doing with 3d printing now.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a secondary aspect of it, I guess, is all the equipment I have to keep accumulating, but uh, no, it's an intro. I, I wanted a, a position in the world where I would actually be able to make a difference in people's lives um, directly, hopefully. And, but I'm also out of the plastics background. So you know, how can I combine these and uh, this opportune chance kind of, walked into this area where uh, you can use these same equipment I've been going to school and learning about my entire uh, educational career. Um, But they actually use it to make pharmaceutical products that could directly impact people's lives. And it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for uh, making processes better or moving them further down the uh, development path so they could actually become commercialized at some point.
1: Mm Do you see a lot of companies coming to you with you know like former processes that are kind of rudimentary or is everybody kind of moving in this direction but it's kind of like the plastics industry itself where like you can sometimes stumble upon a shop and nobody knows what they're doing but they're they're getting it done but it's until you use your expertise that it's like oh okay we're actually like these two leveling up
2: Yeah. uh, It really depends on what kind of companies will approach me at that time. Um, So I work with everything from very small startups and uh, academic institutions, the whole way through large pharmaceutical companies. Um, So it depends on where they are in that development process. Um, We work on a lot of products that will, um, they start with like a solvent cast process. So you're actually dissolving the polymer and a solvent with the drug to make the the product. And that's how they're doing this for initial feasibility. Um, Does the, drug release at the correct rate, or we using the right type of polymers, things like that. But uh, they realized that making these types of implants and patches and whatnot, um, it's not really a feasible route forward to keep using the solvents. And so they want to move towards hot melt extrusion for its uh, continuous manufacturing capabilities. And that's one of the big driving factors for uh, the FDA as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They really want this manufacturing less batch processes. Um, So because of that, there's, you know, They start working. They're really focused on the drug side of things, but not so much on the plastic side of things. So how do you actually make it commercial? How do you make higher volume? How do you transition out of the solvent cast process and move it towards a uh, extrusion process?
1: I mean, isn't that the age old question for anything? You know, how do you take it from prototype to production without (laughs) absolutely destroying it? Exactly. (laughs) Now,
0: you guys also do cryo grinding. is, Is that right?
2: Correct. Uh, So that's one of the, it turned out to be uh, one of the larger uh, business units of this company is cryogenic milling of polymers. Um, So a lot of these, it really comes down to uh, being risk adverse for the customer. Um, A lot of these startup projects, if they start getting negative results right out of the gate because of degradation or agglomerates, they're not getting uh, very good content uniformity. So there's spots within the, the, the device or the batch have high drug concentration or low concentration um, this could potentially end a project very quickly uh, so we really want to get the best possible scenario initially right out of the gate uh, to produce good results so to do this instead of you know split feeding into like a twin screw extruder with pellets plastic pellets and all the other powders and drugs and whatnot that's going to go into the implant um, you actually cryogenically mill the polymer down into a powder and then blend that with the powdered drug and other excipients and then put that through the uh, twin screw a- after we dry blend that. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot of a big push for a lot of the cryogenic milling. And, but, uh, big picture, that's a step in the process we would like to back out. It's just you don't want to do it initially, just because you don't want to take the chance of uh, producing poor results.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so okay. like on the weekends do you get to like play around with liquid nitrogen and do fun <laughs> tricks and like I make really thinking. quick <laughs> i'm
1: like next time i'm out your way i need to come see your facility because it sounds like you have way more cool stuff than you even had last time we talked
2: absolutely no it's it's getting quite involved now and now that I go through a lot of liquid nitrogen, and I've built a whole, you know, cryogenic automated cryogenic milling systems um, to really make it hands-free and more consistent and higher throughput. So it's it's getting fairly advanced for the cryogenic milling.
1: Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, in my, a former company, I
0: worked with the, um, a cryogenic uh, miller uh, that works in... You know, as Lindsay knows, one of my favorite cities in the United States, Akron. Um, but it, it was very, very cool to see some of this. I mean, they they didn't do, I, I, as far as I know, they weren't doing any pharma, but um, did just a lot of really cool stuff that that you know wouldn't even wouldn't even think about. We did a, a product that was. I
1: anytime mean, um, you put liquid nitrogen in your day job, so fun. Day. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Um, so one of the things, I mean, obviously you have the plastics background. Um, I was there, I saw you, um, (laughs) how much do you, I mean, I know you're aiding these pharmaceutical companies, but how much do they rely on you to have some knowledge of these pharmaceuticals or at least, you know, you know, can you look at a formulation now and kind of say, all right, I've had some trouble with this type, or this isn't going to disperse as well, or you know, or this is garbage. Take it home.
2: Sure, uh, to an extent, um, it depends on the specific areas, um, but if a lot of it, uh, well, speaking of cryogenic milling, for example, um, a lot of the powders that we're going to be blending with the uh, milled polymer. Um, they're going to be a very a small particle size, say around, I think, estimate here, 10 to 50 micron in diameter in size. Uh, compared to the milled uh, polymer, we're going to want it around 500 micron. Mm-hmm. And there's always a big controversy. Well, why do we want to go that big? It'll segregate and you won't get good content uniformity. The issue is, is if you move forward with, this is where they my kind of expertise kind of comes in here is, uh if if you use all of the same small size particle uh, it's not going to flow very well so you'll have a very nice uniform blend it's not going to segregate very easily but you're never going to be able to get it into the extruder um it'll be too low bulk density it just won't feed in there correctly so you actually use a the larger particle size to to do that help carry the the drug and other excipients into the extruder um sometimes uh, i i do get back into the you know, the actual drug molecule itself um after you know trial and error and been a pretty steep learning curve for me but i ask a lot of questions now like is it a dihydrate form of the drug is an anhydrate um because if there's water in there what what temperatures are going to be coming off and what temperature are we going to be extruding at you might have quite a bit of moisture that you have to actually deal with um in the removal process while it's going through the twin screw extruder so things like that will definitely be helpful and i have that kind of insight for the processing side of things
0: Mm-hmm. So gosh, I would imagine a, a company like yours, uh, has to go through audits all the time. Is that, is that the case?
2: So not yet, not so, okay.
0: not
2: so much. <laughs> Only because it's a uh, right now it's very initial phase. So it's all R and D development work. So no samples going to people, um, gotcha. no clinical bath batches, anything like anything like that. So just doing a lot of R and D work and proof of concept and then scaling that up. And, uh, you know, transferring those processes either to another uh, contract manufacturer or into the customer's uh, location. And then working on, like, you know, purchasing the equipment and specifying the equipment, training staff, things like that, so they can uh, handle it themselves. So at some point, when I do move to uh, GMP manufacturing, yes, there'll be lots of audits and it'll be an everyday event, it seems. Uh, <laughs> but not right now, at least.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to imagine um, that auditing part of it. I don't think I would ever want to get involved in that. Like I'm just gonna stay in this world. Um when you when you do hand over, you know, these projects back to their, you know, whatever company, either the original company or the companies that buy it or, you know, whatever it may be, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what level of it is kind of a here you go. Don't, don't touch this kind of handover. And how much like, I guess, how much faith do you have in some of these people that are taking over these projects, but don't necessarily have the background you do.
2: Uh, So it really depends. It depends on the particular project and the company and where it's going to be going. Um, But a lot of times I might have they're they're hiring operators because they've never had this equipment before. They don't even own it yet. So we're purchasing the equipment and specifying it. And I try to make it scalable and use some of the best equipment out there so that they're not going to have issues. And then we basically just mimic that process. We'll we'll duplicate it, buy all the new GMP pharmaceutical uh, version of the equipment and uh, we'll already have specified in batch records, um, the you know, screw configuration, the RPM, temperature profiles, all the details, that's all fully documented. So at the very end, they get that at minimum, that's what they have purchased and uh, that's their, theirs to take with and do what do what they want with it. Um, but they can also, this usually happens more often than not, um, they'll actually hire me on this, on a consulting basis to do trainings or to be there for initial batches. Um, they go in and just troubleshoot if they are having issues, um, anything like that to make sure uh, they're able to produce the product in a consistent manner and they're able to get what they want every single time. So it really depends on the particular, the particular company and where they are.
1: So how many projects can you handle at a time? Like this, this feels like so much work. I mean, and I mean, how, like, and how many, how many, days,
0: I so. mean, you started, you started like uh, three, four years ago, almost four years ago. Uh, how how many people did you have starting? Uh, I mean, you're wearing the actually this, the 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 iconic CEO uniform of my hometown, San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> just for everybody listening, he's wearing a t-shirt, and a hoodie, classic classic CEO in <laughs> California. What? Uh, how? When you started, you know, how did that? Can you talk about that process and 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 how many people you employ? And then to
1: Lindsay's question, <laughs> yeah, how, sure. how did do you do it all now?
2: <laughs> so uh, I started. It was just me, and it's. It Still is me currently. Um, so there's no other employees at this time. I was trying to hire um, during COVID because I actually saw a pretty good spike in uh, business at that time. However, it was and has been difficult to hire employees and technicians oh, yeah. in that field uh, since then. So it's still me for now, but uh, working on growing here very shortly and improving that uh, for the amount of projects at any given time. Um, it depends on what phase they are in. So any some of these projects. Some are very quick, Uh, get a phone call and within two weeks, three weeks, we're actually milling polymer or starting some studies. Um, Other times, it seems more often than not, uh, it's about a three to nine month lead time by the time I hear from a customer and they, you know, we have an idea, we want to try this to the time we're actually starting the project. It's usually between say six or nine months, sometimes even longer. Sometimes it's just over a year. Um, And sometimes that has to do with, purchasing certain equipment. So if I need dyes that are specific for that particular project or, you know, other equipment for it, um, usually lead times or getting materials in. So you have to wait as they all come in and, and you get them scheduled and everything's going to be on hand and then move forward with it. But, um, I guess at any given time, probably I think six to 12 projects. Um, but hey. you're not always doing hands on work with all of them. Some of them, you're just tracking purchase orders or placing orders.
0: Um, I don't, I don't, none of this computes. Like I don't understand how, so, so you actually are, you are, are running extruders. Yes. And you are, you are doing the cryo milling. Yes. Alone. Yes. And, And you're doing everything. I don't, I was not prepared for that. I feel like such a slob. (laughs) <laughs> in my life, how do you? This is, I don't, I should just go home. What this is I, insane.
2: <laughs> it all depends on what the project is at the time. Um, I mean, I, I try to, I, by default, I have to build a lot of my own equipment and design a lot of it. So, the dies um. and whatnot they will help de- design it. So, I know I'm not going to have issues with certain extrusion aspects, uh, like the cryogenic milling. I mean, it's, I built this entire uh, self contained, fully automated system where I I load the polymer. I start it up. It takes like half an hour, and then it runs. So I just have to hey, be in the room look, with it. And it you're but. not,
1: you're not machining your own dies or anything, are you?
2: No. Okay. Oh, good. I was, I
1: was, good. I was about to be me. so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, of course you are.
2: <laughs> you're I, like. I've, 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 mouse. <laughs>
0: Dave, you're like that person, like you know, at Fisherman's Warp, who is playing like seven different instruments, like at once. Yeah. And like with the smile on their face, like I'm, I'm just completely blown away. <laughs> ah,
2: it's much easier because I, I really love what I do. So, you know, it's something it's a passion of mine and that makes it that much easier, um, but it can be a bit daunting at, t- at times with how much workload there is, but getting through it for now.
0: <laughs> so how much, so, so how many hours do you, do you think you, you work in, in a given week?
2: It really depends um, because this is very much project-based. Um, for the longest time, it was you know it's, uh, feast or famine, right? So it's uh, get paid intermittently and the projects come intermittently. But So there's, there was a bit of downtime, but that gives me time to design equipment or to help uh, buy a lot of used equipment and then re- uh, refurb it to get it up and running. So doing those kind of things in the downtime – um, so it, it really just depends on the particular workload at the time and how fast a customer might need a product. So there's times I get rush orders and you know, you're putting in 12-hour days, day after day after day. Um, but it all, all depends on what the needs are at the time.
1: Wow. So how did, I mean, here, here's the obvious question. How did COVID impact? I mean, what did yeah. your workload look like?
2: It was, it was fairly interesting and not what I expected originally. Uh, so a lot of my larger pharmaceutical customers, they have these ongoing projects where I was doing some work but not a ton of work on the project at any given moment. Uh, they're doing a lot more in-house, That I was more of a consulting or you know designing things or buying products for them to, to uh, run at their location. Um, however, a lot of them during COVID, they all had stay-at-home orders. However, their projects, their timelines didn't change. Hmm. So I have a lot of projects that got shifted to me uh, to carry on while they're all uh, still working from home. Oh, wow. it wow.
1: kind of worked you're out. Very friendly uh, environment you have there. If you're the only one there.
2: <laughs> That's it. I'm uh so I started my company in a tech incubator and that was the very first company there. And uh, at the time throughout COVID um, it's now pretty much filled up with uh, other companies at the time, but right now. Uh, but that was the only tenant in there. So if I stayed at home, I'm in isolation. If I go to work, I'm in isolation. Um, so that really worked out to my advantage at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is with, your, are you still in the same space or are you in a different space?
2: I am still in the same space, um, at least for now. And as I keep, I'm pretty full at this moment with the amount of equipment and uh, space that I'm using, but yeah, it's another year, maybe Two, although I doubt it, I'll be already looking for uh, new place to move into. So, I'm already looking at commercial property, buildings, land. So.
1: Are you going to get wow. uh, an employee or a new building first?
2: Employees, <laughs> definitely.
1: <laughs> that feels like the better move. I'm here to tell you, go that route first before you double in size.
0: So, are you so, are you are you able to? I mean, are the um, are the other uh, companies now that are in this? Um, in this, uh, incubator, are they like-minded? I mean, are you able to, to recruit away <laughs> employees from, from the other companies or, walks, or individuals, individual
2: you know? That's <laughs> a, uh, it's pretty diverse. Uh, nothing that is like what I do for extrusion or really plastics oriented, but there's several other medical device companies in there. Um, they're working on interesting projects, um, cancer related projects, and yeah, just new, uh, uh, Optic sensors and things like that. So yeah, it's pretty diverse, but not a direct. Not a lot of direct collaboration yet, or, or working together on projects yet.
0: How did you? So how did you find out about the incubator, and why did you choose to start there?
2: Sure. Um, so one, I found it from there's actually a phone app, to kind of like Zillow, but it's for commercial property called LoopNet. Uh, the owner of the building, he actually had it advertised on there, and it looked quite nice. It uh, pre- seemed like it presented well. It used to be a an old elementary school, which was convert- he purchased once it was closed down, converted it into his, uh, uh, his medical device company working on um, optics and things like that, like endoscopes and whatnot. Um, and then he was converting that. His business, his whole building that he purchased, is um, already set up with a clean room and whatnot downstairs, a little machine shop. Um, so he just wanted to uh, basically stop his commercial side of the business and then open it up as a tech incubator. since so it's already set up that way and just started renting things out. Um, so when I found it and I had an excellent price point for where it was at, um, and then I brought in actually a, a couple of the customers that I was working with on a consulting basis. So that's what I did in 2017, I consulted for one year then I opened up the uh, location I have now in uh, 2018, exactly one year later. Um, so I had a couple of customers I brought in and made, them, made sure they would look at it and they were comfortable, um, having that kind of building a location for uh, this business and just everyone gave their approval basically. So that's what uh, was the deciding factor to move in there.
1: Cool. Hmm. So what are, um, I mean, I know I can't get into specifics, but what are some of like the coolest things you're working on or some of the unexpected, like besides just like I make drugs?
2: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, some of it's just the, uh, the indication. So you know, what are they trying to address? What's, why do they want to make a product and for, you know, for what purpose, right? So uh, we on all kinds of areas um, like uh, nerve growth, like uh, severed nerves, trying to have those grow back together correctly and more efficiently. Um, wound healing and new kind of films to replace things like gauze. Um, gauze is actually, you know, it's a very old product and you put it in an open wound and it's not the nicest and easiest to work with. Well, right? I feel so,
1: like if you could use it in the Civil War, it's probably time for an update.
2: Exactly. So, you know, working on new products like that, where they have like a thin film that might have a component in there to help accelerate the, the healing process. Um, a lot of women's health products, it turns out, um, whether it be birth control or other other applications there. Um anti-hiv treatments as well, um, trying to, to get a long duration, uh, active that's going to be continuously absorbed by the patient. Um, so they don't have to worry about taking medication every single day. Um, and then on the smaller scale of things, any kind of ocular treatments, it turns out that, uh, getting drugs into the brain or eyeball, uh, is quite challenging. Um, so trying to get products that can actually get the drug where they need to be. Um, but yeah, it really depends it's all uh, the very wide array of products that I work on.
0: <laughs> wow, it's fascinating. It's just just <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm totally blown away. <laughs> um, it, well, especially like I know when I worked in micromedical we did some like bioabsorbables and we did one that I mean I one project I remember that was a uh, like a pharmaceutical grade and I just remember that material was so expensive. And like, yeah. I remember like seeing it in the fridge, and I was like, I would be like, and like shimmy around it. So I'm, <laughs> like, I'm not like, I'm not going near it. I'm not going to be the one that's like sleeve catches it and like slams it down to the ground. Like, I want to be nowhere near this material. It is so expensive. I am terrified of it. Goodbye. <laughs>
2: Yeah, some of it can be very expensive. Even the medical polymers that we're using, you've used as well. I mean, they're upwards of like now nowadays I think they are like twenty-eight to $3,200 per kilo just for the polymer.
0: Oh, polypropylene will be there in a few months if this continues. No, <laughs> <laughs> With all these supply chain issues, it's kind of leveling out.
2: <laughs> but, the, but the drug itself, I mean, it can be depending on if it's a commercially available product or is it something that, you know, I'll a company the little lab created themselves um or if it's a biologic or things like that it really depends on the price point but some of the drugs i've worked on um they're up to two hundred thousand per kilo mm-hmm. so it can be very expensive in that in that regard so wow. they always want to use very small batches um i've had customers call up before and ask me you know we have 50 grams of material it's already blended with a polymer they want to have three different processes run out of that and each one have a 50% yield. And so you have to get pretty inventive in order to uh, try and make that small of a product and actually produce a sample that's worthwhile for them to test.
1: But... Cutting it with baby powder. Or is that, is
2: that a different <laughs> <drug> each? <issue?
1: laughs> <laughs> oh, look at me. It's the thc PCBY argument all over again. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> this is this is um
0: this was uh, Lindsay was talking about a like a, a bath soak salt that she had gotten from a friend of hers, I think. And she it was like it was a CBD thing and she was calling it
1: THC. <laughs> I don't know. And I couldn't think of and I couldn't think of CBD. And I just want to say TCBY, which is a yoga place. Oh, and when she told me her, her
0: new, her new company that she was working for, she called it sativa. So I have my suspicions about, about it, it, I mean, it's sativa. Close. Close. <laughs> it was just like very, very much on the heels of the other conversation.
1: My <laughs> uh, <a> Midwestern accent. He's <laughs> got the same accent. Actually, this is more Pittsburgh.
2: Probably. Yeah. So, probably. What,
1: so
0: what took you? Oh, are you, are you from Pittsburgh?
2: Ah, uh, Butler, PA. So, forty-five minutes north of.
0: Pennsylvania. Danny's okay. hometown. Yep. Oh wow. <laughs> so, so what? Um, I mean, it, it was funny to see too when I was looking at at, at you know your CV or your LinkedIn. Um, see, so you, you go from from uh, Penn State to Lowell because Lindsay, you know, talks a lot of trash. Obviously, you know, there's <laughs> there's there's just a handful, as you mentioned, of plastic, uh, plastics plastics uh, uh, institutions. There are right
1: options right? for grad school. Yeah, yep. it's, especially if you want to do plastics engineering, I think it is the only plastics engineering for grad school. Lowell, well, <laughs> well uh, Akron
0: actually taking it back to don't they have a oh they have a master's
1: program right? Well, anything, anything um, like I don't think it's called plastics engineering. It's mm. polymer, polymer polymer science. Yeah. I, Lowell's the polymer. only master's and doctorate program for plastics engineering. I don't think anyone else has one. I'm almost positive of that. Someone could surprise me, but I'm almost positive.
0: So so question for you, um, to really put you on the spot here, um, if there were an Antec and uh, the, um, the Penn State uh, networking event was on the same night as the Lowell, uh, alum networking event. Which one do you choose? Easy answer.
2: I would try to hit both. Split. Hey, it that is not
0: the answer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm just trying to piss Lindsay off here. <laughs> it's the Penn State one. There's a lot more booths there. <laughs> or, or I believe ours is usually like stationed at the bar. That might be because I put myself there, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Oh, boy. And, you know, one more thing I wanted to hit before um, before we wrap up is, you know, you said you started a nonprofit to help, like, early stage projects kind of get their samples out there, kind of walk them through it. What is that? Like, how do people kind of, how do people even find that?
2: So, it's, it's actually not started yet. Um, however, it's been an idea I've been working on for a while. So, it's- <laughs> Still in the concept phase, but that is the the plan is to uh, start a nonprofit to help uh, fund these smaller projects. Um, where this came from was uh, several times over my my career. Um, we've been have been working on quoting projects, and it's a small startup or it might be an individual might have a fantastic idea. The issue is is they can't get funding or investors yet until they actually show some good results. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was one project I was working on, I was was working on quoting and it came in right around, it was expensive for what it was. It was like $150,000 for the initial uh, work to get them samples the whole way through. I think it's like this, uh, their second phase of testing. Um, That was going to be, Far too much for them, they told us, and they couldn't do work. But it seemed like it's such a great idea. Um, I actually spent more time to try and get it uh, the cost down and down and down and getting free materials and people to help out in different areas. Because if they can make these samples, again, the funding will come in. This product could then be made and make it to commercial and actually be helping people. Um, however, I got that project the whole way down to, I think, around $18,000 for just a very couple, just a couple small prototypes. And that was still going to be too much for their initial development work. So uh, that's where this idea comes from. Um, If is, could we be raising money and putting money towards these small, smaller projects? And then once they get some initial samples and get some good data, then they'll be able to go get investors. Then they'll be able to get more funding coming in and they can be able to take it down the uh, to line towards production even further. So I've seen just too many times, uh, good ideas and good projects just never even start just because of lack of funding. Mm-hmm. And really it doesn't, uh doesn't take a whole lot, but it does take a bit. So that's the idea, hopefully.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, like if you just, hold people and you look for people's like ideas and, you know, whatever, obviously some people are dum dumbs and have really bad ideas, but like there are really good, (laughs) there are really good ideas out there and there are ideas that are actually like feasible. It's just, you can't get over that first hurdle. Um, So I think, yeah, I think having, you know, somebody willing to work with them and help, you know, walk them through it, help it, get what they need and know what they need. Um, I think that's an awesome idea,
0: mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it just makes sense too. Like you know, being a smaller company, you can, um, you have the ability to, to 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 really you know make your own choices and and make quick decisions. You know, whereas a lot of these bigger companies, there's going to be a lot more red tape and a lot more decision makers, a lot more buy-in, and a lot more you know, cost benefit analysis or, you know, (laughs) risk analysis.
1: Um, you know, now before your big bureaucratic Dave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so what maybe, maybe just a final question. Well, maybe a couple more, but like what, where do you see it going? You know, 20 years from now, do you, do you really want to just focus on this and and grow this company? Do you think it'll branch into different pieces? Are you going to go the, the, the hoodie route and maybe try to sell it off?
2: Uh, yeah, so it's definitely gonna be growing um, and looking at multiple um, avenues for you know uh, producing a profit here. Uh, one of them will be the cryogenic milling, definitely moving that forward. Um, that seems to be a, a larger and larger need. The long grime in business seems to be just growing and growing. Um, but another is um, actually working on my own individual projects at x Farm. Um, so I have a small team put together that we are working on various small concepts and ideas and I'm producing them at my company uh, with the entire intent of uh, basically turning these into their own companies, which may be sold off, maybe just move the whole way through commercialization, um, but having multiple uh, sources in that regard. And also in the same time, um, having the GMP capabilities. So I'll be being able to make product that will actually be able to go into people, be able to make be able to be made commercial um, and have all the uh, regulatory requirements put in place for that. So, but that's quite the undertaking to get to the, the GMP phase. So that'll be a couple more years down the road, but uh, it is it is moving along. Um, yeah, so little business ideas like that. And then uh, even like a, a purge compound, like making a, a purge compound that is uh, suitable for uh, the pharmaceutical industry is has been quite challenging as uh, one doesn't really exist yet, or if it does exist, they don't really work the best. Huh. Um, there's a lot of the purge compounds out there. They're, you know, they're trade secrets. So they don't actually tell you everything that's in there. And then if you don't know what's in it, uh, you can't put it on equipment. That's going to be making drug products and, and things like this.
1: Right. So Fair. You don't want any different PCY in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: And my goodness, that would be the most expensive, I would imagine it'll be the most expensive purge compound there ever was.
2: I would imagine, yes.
1: (laughs) That frozen yogurt just goes right through it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Dave, uh, it's been really great having you on here. Um, Love catching up. I forgot how, I mean, Mercedes, you don't know this, but um, Dave's nickname in college was Crazy Dave. Um, (laughs) Because... This is how his mind works, just hearing him go in all these directions. And they're all um, really impressive because, honestly, I feel like my mind yeah. goes in a lot of directions, but a lot of them end in dead ends. Um, so, uh, Dave, it's been really, really nice to have you on here and just hear about, I mean, I've been hearing you talk about opening a company, what feels like forever. And now to see, like, the fruits of that is is really cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I wanna, I wanna come see your
0: facility as well. We gotta arrange a, arrange a girls trip out, Lindsay. We'll do a girls trip. And then you
1: can,
0: a you can. bring your spring break cup, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, I
1: will bring. I'll absolutely, bring the spring break cup.
0: I'll go ahead. Yeah, Dave, Dave White, thank you so much. Um, and then, uh, if people wanna get a hold of you, uh, you have a website.
2: I do. It's a Yeah. Uh, and also my email is david.white.extrafarm.com. And feel free to reach out at any time. There
0: and that's go. farm with a pH. Correct. Like
2: cool. fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pharmaceuticals. So or pharmaceuticals. Together.
0: Yes, also that. All, yeah.
1: right, <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. Dave. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month, Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for like the number spe.org.
0: Oh, plastics.